The following special bonus episode of the Whiskey Topic Podcast is brought to you by Johnny Walker. Whiskey, whiskey, the singer's getting sore. We raised the roof, now we're lowering the floor. The band is blistering, but we got a little more. When I say one, two, you say three, four, one, two, three, four. Welcome to the Whiskey Topic. It's Mark Bylock, and we have a special guest, Emma Walker, from the Diageo team uh, behind Johnny Walker and other great brands at Diageo. I'm really excited to partner with Johnny Walker for this education series. Um, you know, Emma's been a great guest here. She uh, talks a lot about that that blending process of whiskey. And uh, as much as I thought I knew about whiskey, uh, listening to, to Emma get so deep into the science behind it, the, the science and the art. And I think we always kind of want to break this down. There's certainly the science piece of making whiskey and blending and all that, but there's also the art and the craft that goes into it. And there's also marketing teams and sales teams and, and everything else. And to, to have Emma go through the process uh, was just a lot of fun and really gives you, gave me insight on uh, the whiskey that Diageo makes and Johnny Walker specifically. So I uh, hope you enjoy this. Cheers. Whiskey, whiskey. Emma, welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited to, to be here. I've done some little research on, on, on what you do. Uh, so, Emma, you, you um, first of all, your name is Walker, but I, I assume you're related to the Johnny Walker family. Um, no, there's, there's, there's no family connection. I do get asked that an awful lot. So I like to joke that if we are connected, we must have been kicked out in an earlier stage and I've snuck my way back in. But <laughs> as, as far as I'm aware, there's no, there's no family connection. Uh, every interview I, I, I read that you had, that's the very first question everybody asks you. So I, I felt like I needed just to start yeah, there as well. <laughs> now, you, you told me um, that you uh, you and your team uh, have oversight over 10 million casks. Now, I've done some math. Um, that tells me that each of you individually on a team of 12 are responsible for 833,000, 100,000 um, casks per person. How's your workday look every day? <laughs> Man, that's quite a terrifying number when you look at it that it's way. It's so terrifying. <laughs> I mean, so I... Net... <laughs> yeah, that's 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 scary, Matt. I, I think it's one of those where you know we have that many casks, but when you try to actually picture that, it, it starts to become a little, a little too challenging to the mind. So every day that we have, we are nosing whiskey. We're very lucky that we work with some amazing colleagues. So our colleagues in the north of Scotland, up at Elgin, they assess all of the new make spirit that's produced at our, uh, from our malt distilleries. And we have colleagues in Fife that assess all of our new make grain whiskies. Um, so we work very closely with these guys and know the quality of all the different batches of, of new make spirit that's been produced and goes into cask. We work a lot with uh, our colleagues in maturation as well, so we know the quality of the casks that the, the whiskey, that the new mixed spirit is going into to mature. So we have that combined with the work that we do where we ask for sample requests from our very patient colleagues in warehousing and maturation. Um, and they they run about some very cold uh, warehouses to go and take individual cask samples for us. Um, and we, so we get to learn more knowledge from that. So every time one of us is looking at samples, other people within the team and those of these are looking at them. So we are continually learning more about how our stock's maturing, what each of these individuals, we have, at the minute, we have 29 open distilleries. Um, so as they're maturing, we all learn more and more about those. And as time goes on, we're gonna have more and more open distilleries to look at. We also have ghost distilleries or closed distilleries that we are still learning about the, the maturing stock that we have from these as well. Yeah, I, we're definitely going to talk about the the Ghost and Rare series and kind of those distilleries that have been closed down and you 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 have casks of. Um, 
a little later on. The uh, so the idea is so how well do you get to know these distillers? Because so twenty nine different distilleries, um, some of them make single malt, some of them make grain whiskey. I assume, um, and you're 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 constantly tasting or nosing uh, the the spirits from there. Um, I think you know a lot of us kind of wonder. Well, if you have you know ten million casks, but you know let's say X amount come from the same distillery and are aged the same type of oak and have been aged for the same amount of time, how much variety of flavor do you get from those casks? Oh, you can get a huge amount of variety. Um, so, for example, two of the single malts that I used to look after were Cardew and uh, Singleton and Dufton. Mm-hmm. Um, and within the the core range of Cardew, you've got your twelve year olds, your eighteen year olds. Um, your 15-year-olds, you also have your um, Cardew Gold Reserve. So these are using our Cardew stocks, but they're using different pockets of that maturing inventory. And we have a different different combination of wood styles that we have in there as well. So through investigating the casts that we have of those, you really get to understand the breadth of flavour that you can get from one distillery depending on the type of cask it's been matured in. So if it's in American oak, so ex-bourbon casks, we're going to get a very sweet, vanilla, toffee flavour coming through. It's very smooth on the palate and that really accentuates, say, the, the, the fresh fruit, orchard fruit that we get from Cardew Distillery. If it if we put that say into European oak, so ex sherry type casks, you're getting more of a sort of rich fruit, raisin, sultanas, dried fruit flavours coming through, and it's slightly more tannic. You'll have a slightly more bitterness on the palate, but it's, it has a very rich sweetness there as well. So we have other cast styles as well, but as we're sampling these, we're understanding how we can bring these together so we can get the right rich notes, flavours, the right sweet flavours, and get the right balance on the palate. And that's all a continual learning process. But what's really interesting is what you learn from one distillery and how you play tunes with that distillery. You then take back to what, if you're working on a Johnny Walker product as well, it's just that you're multiplying that by, instead of being one distillery, you're thinking about how you bring a larger number of distilleries together into one whiskey. And and that's really I, I so so there's two challenges in your work I, I guess from from what you're saying is on the single malt side um, your challenge is okay we're going to produce Lagavulin 16 um, you know every you know every year how do we how do we make sure it tastes the same and has the same quality uh, every year but then the other side of it is you're working with uh, blends that are do that have so many different expressions and how do you work with them to make sure you know everything kind of synchronizes and you know that that every 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 everything makes sense in that in that cast. That, that's such an interesting uh, such an interesting challenge really in both cases. Oh yeah, definitely. And I mean, again, I've spoken about some of our amazing colleagues. We have some very clever colleagues in the inventory. So a, a Scotch inventory manager, I'm pretty sure he can see in the matrix. So Ian Lomax, <laughs> he somehow seems to be able to see into the future and he can think about are we laying the stocks that have been made, the new mix spirit that we're creating now, is it being laid down into the right type of casks that we want to be able to continue to create Johnny Walker Black Label, Johnny Walker Red Label in the future, but also to build in um, building capacity so we have stock available for innovations as well. So, yeah, I'm pretty sure he sees it in ones and two, like it's just in numbers everywhere. I can see patterns, but it really helps us that we get to work with someone that can think in that way. Um, and understands what we need as a, as a blending team, what we're looking for when the whiskey's mature to be able to continue to create these great whiskies. How often do you get this cast where you're, you're, you get a sample of it and you're like, wow, this cast is just perfect on its own. This is, you know, this is the one of, uh, is that 
happen often? I there's not you don't do a lot of single cask varieties. I assume uh, just from um, looking at the markets. I mean, doing some markets, yeah. I look in China and, and whatnot. Yes, yeah. So we do. So when we're looking at casks, we do. If you if you get one that is just a, a peach that is just outstanding, that does get tagged. Um, and as I said, when we're nosing whiskies, we're all having a nose and we're all having a look at these. So if something comes out that has a really outstanding quality and character, there may be a bit of a tussle. A wee bit of a fight to see who's going to get to use that for different for different projects, right. um, and <laughs> and that does include the single the single cask offering. So we do have the cask of distinction series. So that's our single cask that we offer, um, as you said, in a lot of, in Southeast Asia to the JMB market to um, China. But we also do have in the singleton range, for example, we'll do single cast bottlings or for Portellin, there'll be single cast bottlings. So we do, as we're looking at our casks as they're maturing, we will tag ones that we think and we'll reserve these casks that we think are outstanding quality. But when we are looking at some of our, our other ranges, for example, Blue Label, we are looking for outstanding examples, like rare expressions of, of our of our of our core whiskey distilleries as well. So we have a lot of different asks that are looking at the inventory. Uh, so there is a lot of negotiation between the team, but also with the markets and uh, the different areas that want to use the whiskies. Now that that's pretty amazing, and um, you know, you know, just you know, going back to kind of the whiskey one hundred and one. So we have uh, single malt single malt scotches that come from one distillery. Um, uh, from one distillery, or it's one hundred percent malted barley, and it's it's typically, and we always, you know, in I guess the term is vatted, but you know, I I always like to say it, everything's in some ways a blend, but it's uh it's a blend yeah. or vat of many different barrels of whiskey that go in to make that flavor profile, and then yeah, we have right. single casks that are just one individual cask that's being sold as individual. So you're gonna have limited bottle runs, you're gonna have whatever you have depending on this this amount of liquid left uh, in there, and then you have the blended scotch and. And then there's, of course, other variations too, but the blended scotch that has, um, it's a blend of single, of malted barley and, uh, and, and, and grain, and you have that combination to make a, a, a blend. And that's kind of where the Johnny Walker series sits. It's in that uh, high-end blended uh, scotch category. So uh, tell us, tell us a little bit about that. I guess maybe start us with the extreme. Let's, let's talk about the Ghost and Rare series, because I've had, I've tasted the first two of those, and I thought they were really incredible and 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 just the story behind how that was made uh is just fascinating to me yeah so i'm i'm really quite lucky that i spent a lot of my time looking after johnny walker blue label sort of really hands holding uh the whiskey and making sure it's the right quality every time so as you've mentioned we we do use fattings within johnny walker blue label so in that whiskey we've got a really important sort of european oak sherry style flavor that it we do a lot of work around that to make sure that that's just that's just right because it is such a key characteristic to the overall the overall whiskey. Uh, we also do a vatting of our rare rare and old whiskey, so that includes our Port Ellen, our Brewer, a Glenary Royal. Um, and we use those in each and every batch of of Johnny Walker Blue Label. So when you think about that sort of that that deep dive into the flavour and these rare and ghost ghost whiskies that we use in Johnny Walker Blue Label. That's where we came up with the concept of, of the Ghost and Rare series. So we're looking at how to explore the remarkable depth of character that you find in every drop of Johnny Walker Blue Label, but also finding those fleeting opportunities, those those small batches of casks in the maturing in our maturing inventory that we think are amazing, 
are great expressions. I mm -hmm. use in them in this limited edition series to really explore, pull apart the flavours that we get in Blue Label. Um, uh, it also was inspired by Jim, so he was fascinated by how whiskies from a small number of distilleries, including these ghost distilleries, can we can talk to that extraordinary richness that we see in Blue Label, but create something that's different. So it's really pulling that that character apart. Um, I'm playing just really playing with the flavour and and looking to see, see what different what different uh, characteristics we can we can we can bring to the forefront each time. Yeah, I mean, and that that's great. So when we talk about ghost series, we're talking about abandoned distilleries. I mean, in some cases they're being revived, let's say, but uh, yes, but, yeah. but abandoned distilleries that have you know. 20, 30 year old casks or longer. Uh, and, and Brora always has such a, you mentioned Brora. I think that was, that was mm -hmm. the primary of the first Ghost in series, correct? Yeah. It was Brora? Yeah. yeah. And that's, that's got right. such a, both, both Brora and Port Allen have such an amazing cult following um, be, because of kind of the history there. Uh, and unfortunately, I, I, both distilleries were, were, were lost in the, uh, in kind of the Scot single malt scotch slowdown in the, in the 80s. Um, yeah. But the following is still pretty incredible. And I just kind of, Tell us about that. Like, how did you know? How did it feel to taste these really old uh, costs? And, and by the way, I'll just I'll just bring in some perspective before thing. Like, some of the Port Ellens, um, that 20, 20 year old Port Ellens, like the last few uh, barrels released uh, from Port Allen are going on the market for thousands and thousands of dollars uh, in auction houses in in the UK. So these are highly regarded among uh, collectors and whiskey enthusiasts. Yeah, for uh, for myself, I just this is when you really get to realize that you are extreme you know that you're very lucky with the job that you have every day but when you really get to nose and taste and understand these whiskies that um that are so rare that we only have we've got a very limited number of casks left within our within our inventory so getting the samples of these and really going back and diving into what what was the what was the talks about at the distillery room where these would be made what did the new make character? What? How was that? How was that looked at um, by the people that were making it? So getting to understand that, getting into the heads of, of the people that created it, but also then being able to. So, for example, with the first expression. So the the closed distilleries that we used were Brewer, Pitivake, and Cambus. So mm -hmm. we it was looking at Highland whiskey from Brewer. We've got a Speyside whiskey at Pitivake, and then Cambus was a Lowland grain whiskey as well uh, distillery. So just down the road from where I currently work. So right. it's just a, a beautiful link back to almost like the history history of Scotch whisky, understanding how that had come about and the changes, so including the closures and why that happened, but bringing that together with five sort of rare expressions of whiskies from distilleries that are well loved still open. So it was it was lovely being able to bring Brewer and Klein Leash together into into one whisky. Then you've got. Uh, Loch Nagar, Glen Kinchy, Glen Lossy. So really doing that, traveling around the four corners of Scotland and then getting the balance between that canvas from the Close Distillery and Cameron Bridge Distillery in Fife and just bringing those flavors together. So having Brewer at the heart of it and really bringing out that that sort of very strong characteristic that, that Brewer brings, but then tempering it with these other amazing whiskies, these other amazing expressions. So you got this really lovely fruity sweetness. It was pineapple, I got a lot of red berries and uh, it was just, it was unctuous. It was, it was mouthwatering when you brought these whiskies together. Like, it was just amazing to be able to bring that together, have a sip of that whiskey and just realize how beautiful they all were and how well they all work together. And, and, you know, it's just, a, it's a different type of whiskey where you're tasting something that old. Cause they just, they yes. get so many different yeah. notes on it. 
Um, but that, that's not to say, so the Johnny Walker, uh, the blue series as well, um, that is the concept behind that as well. Kind of taken in that, that level where you, you take those rare barrels and you, you bring them together. It, it, blue does taste different year to year. Is that correct? Or is it all the, this, is it all um, meant to be the same? No, we, we work on that to keep it as consistent as possible. So we are talking, it was launched in the 1990s and mm -hmm. it was, it was harking back to an older recipe. And we work on that to make it as consistent as possible. And that's partly why we use these fattings, because that helps us with that consistency of flavour. Um, but this is where the Ghost and Rare series is good fun, because you're you're getting to play with the nuances that you see within Blue Label um, and just see where you can take it with these with these small, small batches, uh, small pockets of, of amazing stock that if we were to use those sort of day to day in our, our creation of Johnny Walker Blue Label, you might lose some of these even more delicate uses that we can get from the higher high proportion of ghost mm -hmm. distilleries and rare expressions that we're using in in this ghost and rare series. Right, right. Uh, the the now now you, and your your background your 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 it's a it's in science. So you've got uh, yeah. tell us how did you how did you walk into into whiskey? So yeah, my background is in science and chemistry. I was an undergrad at Edinburgh University doing chemistry, um, and I then did a PhD in organic chemistry at Sheffield University. I ended up working at GlaxoSmithKline, so as a pharmaceutical process chemist, so um, ensuring that production of, of um, pharmaceuticals was done correctly and to the right standard. Um, and I then saw a job advert for a project scientist at Diageo, um, and I was keen to work at Diageo because it was a good, it was a good, uh, a really good employer in the area, had a great reputation, lots of uh, good stories about the development of your development opportunities once you got into got into the into the company. But when I came for the job interview, I was being interviewed by Jim Beveridge, mm -hmm. by Martin Robinson, by Caroline Martin. <laughs> <laughs> These are just heroes of Scotch whiskey. And I I was gobsmacked that there was such a job as, as a whiskey scientist. Um, so I think more people should know this, and especially undergraduates, because it'll keep you interested for when you have when you're going through the darkest days of a, a chemistry degree, I think this will keep your <laughs> keep you interested for longer. <laughs> Um, so I, yeah, I've accidentally fell into it, but I would say that that chemistry training has did me in good, put me in a good place for the learning and understanding. So I really got to understand the sort of the mechanics of how you create flavour, so where it's created in the distillation process, um, and how you, the different distilleries, just through small changes that have been made over the decades by by the people that created these distilleries how they made small changes, small differences between still sizes, where the water comes from, how they run the fermentation, how that creates a different flavour style at each and every distillery. And then understanding how that distillery character is then, is then tempered, is then matured as it goes into the different styles of cast. So really getting to understand what is what is oak, how it's made of lignin, how does that break down We do the, when we heat treat the casks. And then when the, the new mix spirit goes into the cast to mature. So that has really helped me understand the science of how we create flavour. Um, and that understanding, I think, has helped with the, the art, the artistry side of it. So understanding where flavour is created helps you in understand how you can bring those flavours together and how you can essentially use the same. You could work with a set of 10 building blocks, so different distillery characters, different different 
maturation characters, but you could use them in different proportions and create very different flavor styles. Um, so I think having that balance of the science background, but using that to develop the understanding of the art of blending has really put me in a good place for, for the role that I do today. Yeah, it is. It is, must be so fun because you do have that, that oh. science background. So you, you understand everything that's going on in the casks, but then to have to taste it and palate. <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, yeah. that is, that is the ongoing joke. We really don't know everything that's going on no, in the no. cast. Um, yeah. There's but, definitely but, still some magic there. <laughs> yeah. I, I love using that term too. It's just that there's this, just, we know how to do everything and yet there's just all this magic in between that we don't, we don't know. Um, yeah. The, but, but also being able to, to taste, to nose and taste the, 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 the differences, uh, um, you know, one of the great quotes is how, how much Linden, Linden uh, affects the flavor profile of everything because it's in the oak and that's what we're tasting. Um, yeah. But the, um, so, so how does, so for, from, from kind of the, because you do, you do use, uh, I assume, a lot of scientific equipment. How does that translate from your job? So how does it translate that you, you have the, the chemical makeups of, of, ca of certain casks and then you, you know, like, how does that process work? How much of the science and how much is it creativity? So we do most of when we're looking at cast samples and when we're developing the whiskey, most of what we do is by nose. Um, um, so we will dilute the, the whiskey down to 23% as well, because that helps us to be able to nose a, a, a larger number of whiskies. But it also is the right balance for us to be able to really deep dive into have we got the right flavour notes there? Are, are there off notes? Does that cast need to spend longer in match? to mature further before we want to use it mm -hmm. but we do so we use that but we will link that sensory assessment together with um, analytical information so we get analytical information or from the numic um, analysis so again mm -hmm. that's done by sensory but there will also be analysis on say phenols levels on uh, the different um, the different alcohols that you get from the distillation process so we can tie that together um, when I first started in the team, I actually used to run some of the equipment. So there was a um, HPLC, so high performance liquid chromatography. And we used to run that to look at lignin degradation products. So when mm -hmm. you heat treat the cask, you break the lignin down and you create these smaller lignin based molecules that when the spirit's maturing, it extracts these out of the cask. And that's where you can get your vanilla flavors, your um, sort of sappy notes, your, your tannin flavors. So it was a method that we used to measure how how much what concentration of those do we have and mm -hmm. uh, it's actually really good fun to to look at what the nose and comments are and tie that together with what we're seeing in the analytical on the analytical field because you will get very good correlation but sometimes you are nosing things that could be a combination of these and without that nosing information you're like i don't get where that's coming from but it's actually a combination combination of different conditions coming together so from the distillation and the maturation process that give this overall nose sensation, this aroma, that when you look at everything individually, you can't necessarily see that pattern, but you need to have that knowledge of what, what the aroma comes from, like what it smells like to be able to try and figure out what, what causes that specific aroma. Oh, that that's terrific. Well, let's let's go let's go a little deeper and and just uh, let, can you define uh, define congeners and lignans to us and uh, yep. from yeah let's do that. So uh, right, so if you're in a distillery, you have you've created you've gone through the you've you've ground up your malt. Uh, that has gone into your. I'm going to get I'm going to get the bits of equipment wrong now. 
It's okay. It's probably got a long <laughs> name yeah. with lots of letters. <laughs> I'll never so, remember it. <laughs> your malt has got, so you've taken your malt into distillery. It's been ground up. It has then gone into the washback. It's gone mm. in there with hot water. So it's, it's, you've got a slow stirring process and you extract, you filter through that sort of sugary water that we call wort. Mm-hmm. That then gets cooled down, goes into the fermentation vessel vessel or the washback, and you add your yeast to that as well. So during that process, that's where you have your sugars. They've been broken down from the starches in the malt to sugars. Um, we add the yeast, so the yeast consumes these sugars and breaks them down. That's where we start to create things like acids, alcohol. So the main the main uh, thing that's created there is alcohol, so it's ethanol. Mm-hmm. Uh, with carbon dioxide, but you're also producing smaller amounts of other acids and alcohols. Um, and these are extremely important. They start to react in the vessel and come together. So you start to form what we call esters. And these esters are a combination between an alcohol and an acid. And these esters are what give us these really fruity flavours. So if you have a longer fermentation, you form more of these esters. And that's where you can really start to get that sort of, you know, fresh apple, fresh pear notes, slight mm-hmm. banana flavour, green grass, um, that sort of flavour that comes through. If you have a shorter fermentation, you've got a slightly less of these esters being formed. So you might have more of a sort of cereal, multi flavour that you get from that distillery. So that's where... As you, depending on how you run your fermentation, you'll get different flavours coming more to the fore, so you get a great concentration of them. So those esters, alcohols, acids, esters, these are congeners. These are things that have an aroma, have a flavour, and form part of the distillery character. If you were to use malt that had been dried with uh, peat, you would also have what we call phenol flavours, smoky flavours coming through there from that drying process. Mm-hmm. So these smell of like smoked, smoked fish, smoked meat. Um, I'm trying to think of things that sound good. <laughs> so you've also got, yeah, so you've got tar, cold, just these quite strong flavours coming through. And that also forms part of that congener profile. You also get flavours that start to be formed that might be less... Um, you don't, maybe don't want those to be as, as high a concentration in the final product. So you'll get complex flavours there. You might get some meaty flavours. Mm-hmm. There might be some slightly sulfury flavours. So the next stage as you go through distillation is when you can, again, temper those. So how you run your stills means that you can, t- if you were to have a lower, a slower distillation run, you've got more copper contact, you can extract some of those, those sulfur flavours. So you get a cleaner, grassier, lighter style whiskey coming through. So the other congeners that we can get are from maturation. So this is derived from what the wood is made from. So mm-hmm. as you know, we, we have to use oak to mature Scotch whiskey in. So we've got two main groups of oak that we can make casts from, and that'll be American oak and European oak. So it's Quercus alba and Quercus roba. Now these are, oak is oak, but they have slightly different variations in it. So in European oak, you've got a higher level of tannins. So these tannins are quite big molecules um, and they can take a longer time to extract from the cask. But they mm-hmm. are partly what gives you some of that. You know, you know, when you drink a very sherry whiskey and you get a, it's a wee bit on nippy. It's a wee bit bitter, stringent on yeah. the palate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that is that is caused by these tannins that you're extracting during maturation. But they also have a lovely, rich fruit, um, spicy dried fruit flavour that it brings and extracts into the cask as well. If you're maturing in American oak, you've got a lower level of tannins, 
but you have got other flavours in it. So you have what's called oak lactones. Now mm-hmm. you get that in the European oak, but you get it in a higher concentration in the American oak. And that's where you get a lovely a sort of banana vanilla flavour coming through. You know, if you think about American whiskey, and you get a very strong, that's very strong sort of um, coconut, sort of, sorry, coconut flavour. Yeah. You get yes, yes. Coming through in American whiskey. Mm-hmm. So you, that's, you get that from fresh American oak. So when we get casks from the bourbon industry and we re, and we use those to mature Scotch whiskey and we get that flavour extracted, but to a slightly lower level than you would see in American whiskies. But you also get sort of smooth, creamy vanilla flavours from the different the different mix of lignums, lignin degradation products. So oak is made up of lignans. It's just these very long chains that are made up of different sort of sugar molecules, um, different just different molecules that join together to form the structure of wood. So when the cask is put together and it gets put over a fire, so you toast it and then you turn the heat up and you char it. So that process, the toasting starts to break down that lignin. So the outside of the cask still holds its structure, but the inner layer has been broken down so that you can, these these smaller molecules can now be extracted during maturation out through the pores of the wood and into the maturing whiskey. Um, The charred level there as well, that forms essentially a carbon layer. So mm-hmm. it's like a, it's like the extractor hood in your cooker, where that extracts some of the immature flavours that have come through the distillation process that we don't want to have in our final in our final whisky. So some of those sulfury notes, those meaty notes, um, some slightly metallic notes, they get taken out by the cask as well. Mm-hmm. And then though in the cask, those congeners from distillery and from maturation, over time they will they will start to react together as well. So that's where uh, an earlier stage of whiskey might be sort of quite green, um, orchard fruit, quite quite vibrant and nestery. Over time, that fruitiness can almost develop to more of a tropical flavour as it as it ages, and as these these reactions go on and these these congeners become more complex. That's part of the reason that that flavour develops over time. Wow, that was amazing. That was really. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was really amazing. I love that. And, and in the glass, and I guess the, the, the part of this too that, that you were saying is in the glass, uh, you have all these components and then sometimes they combine to create certain flavors. Sometimes one overcomes another. So even though you, you may have, so, so there's this level of complexity you have through this entire process and how fermentation, you know, every step of it affects the final whiskey in the glass. And as a yeah. blender, your, your, your job is to extract kind of these the positive notes and create interesting whiskeys with all the different casks you work with. But then I'll, at the end of the day, it's hard to science can't predict if you combine yeah. these casks, you're going to have the perfect whiskey because there's all these other elements that are, that are unpredictable that as we say, the magic in, in the process as well. That That's exactly it. And I mean, Maureen's, Maureen's been quoted about this where she will sort of work through what she wants to create in a new innovation on paper and she'll bring together the whiskies, and sometimes they work exactly how you expect them to. And you create something, you go, wow, that's amazing. And you'll still continue to try different variations because you want to make sure that really is the best combination. Mm-hmm. But other times you are so confident that you're going to bring these whiskies together in a certain way, and you, you know how it's going to work, then you do it and you're like, what what just happened? That's <laughs> that's not what we were expecting at all. <laughs> so, it's yeah it's it's the bringing them together is uh, as we said it is that art and science and it's it's just sneaky enough to keep you on your toes at all times um and stop you becoming overly confident and that you can do it without without as much effort i always keep you on your toes um yeah. the you know uh, 
it's it's just it's amazing to like um, it's amazing to have access to so many barrels and to be able to create these great expressions. So, and that, that's why I think I love the the combination of kind of the the marketing and the and the blending because you do get you do get marketing coming to you say oh you know we'd like to create this kind of whiskey for this market um, and that must be a lot of fun right because it gives you a direction because otherwise you would just like you know, it gives you kind of a direction on profile. So is there, explain to me kind of that creative process because marketing says, you know, I I don't, I don't know if I want to use a real example or a fake example, but let's say marketing wants to be like, we want to make a new whiskey. It's going to be called the dragon something, uh, fire breathing dragon. That's a terrible one. Uh, what's another good one? (laughs) And that, that is actually part of of the skill of the, the, the marketeers is being able to come up with these, these new ideas as well. Cause, um, yeah, we would just we would just call everything whiskey and be done with it. <laughs> well, right, exactly. We would just be like, here, this is a whiskey. This is batch number three, 13,452. You're going to love it. Enjoy. <laughs> and the marketing comes like, can we put something? Sp- um, so, I mean, maybe the Game of Thrones is maybe uh, the, the funnest example you... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so Game of Thrones, like, um, I guess the Johnny Walker, the white, let's say the White Walker release uh, was, was a good one. Um How's that process work? Marketing says, "Okay, this is what we're going to do," and then what do you what do you take from that? So, White Walker was a really interesting concept. It was my colleague George Harper that worked on that alongside uh, Jim uh, when the concept came in. So it was a, I mean, it was an amazing opportunity for us to be able to create a whiskey that would sit alongside the Game of Thrones. So yes, it yeah. was there was that immediate recognition that this could be amazing. This could really help to open up the world of whiskey to, to a group of a group of people that wouldn't normally think about drinking scotch whiskey um and where they might sometimes have thought that's not for me because it had that link into something that they they really did love and they had that cultural cultural connection for them um they would possibly be more open to try and train this whiskey so right. part of the part of the 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 concept there was we needed something that was amazing whiskey in its own in its own right so that whiskey lovers, uh, whiskey connoisseurs, people that really like whiskey would be able to drink it and go, right, this is a good whiskey. But that could also be approachable to 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 non-Scotch drinkers, that they weren't going to they weren't going to be sort of intimidated or put off by any harsh flavours or just too com- like more complex. So no no meaty, we're not looking at smoky whiskies here. We're right. looking at something that is is very approachable, but also something that would um that could be mixed in in long drinks really well as well. Um, so George did he did a number of different looked at a number of different ideas. Um, also built on the work that had been done by myself and other people in the group in the team as well when we looked at the blenders batch series. So like for example, red wine finish and, and different mm-hmm. whiskey. So understanding how we create that sweeter style, that sort of American American um, oak influence, uh, and he worked through that and just yeah, sort of took the ideas from the from the market, took the learnings from within the team and just brought that together. Um, but had a lot of fun with it as well. So when they were talking about White Walker, I was like, right, it's cold, it's frozen north. So your mind immediately goes to like our most northerly distilleries, Klein Leash. Klein mm-hmm. Leash has these lovely sort of fresh fruits, citrus notes, waxy flavours. I mean, what doesn't sound approachable and what doesn't sound lovely about that? So that sounds like that would be a great whiskey for us to have in there. Um, you've got Cardew. So you're thinking about Johnny Walker. So Cardew was a home of Johnny Walker. And it's, it's one of their, the oldest members of the sort of Walker family. Um, but we're also mixing that with some of our lighter style whiskeys that have been matured in American oak. So we're really talking to that sort of vanilla flavour, 
sort of toffee flavors um and just bringing that together into in such a lovely whiskey so you did have the caramelized sugar the vanilla fresh red berries that just was lovely um and i think it's yeah it was a great whiskey they did an amazing job on it and it really did talk to the 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 remit that they got from the market uh, mm-hmm. and from the Johnny Walker Global Brand team, I think it's yeah, it's it's spoken, it's it's worked well with consumers around the world, um, both whiskey drinkers and previously non-drunk whiskey drinkers. <laughs> <laughs> no, that, that's 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 right because the entire series, um, you know, not just that, but the, uh, the also the individual uh, single uh, yeah. single malts. Uh, yes. were really fun because I think I think um, I, I think a lot of like the whiskey enthusiasts were, you know, skeptical about that, but they they got a different expression. I think you know the Lagavulins, the, yes. the thing they yeah. they every, they got like oh this is a nice different expression from the distillery that I wouldn't normally normally experience. Um, so I think I think yeah, it, the team definitely hit that note of like let's yeah. make an interesting whiskey that's approachable, but also make it fun for people that are that are into those distilleries or into the the brands exactly. themselves. And that was an important part. So it was Stuart Morrison and the team that looked after the the range of the the single malts, and that was a really important part of the 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 process of developing these was making sure that they stood alone from um, existing variants, say for for um, Mortlack and, and our other distilleries, but that they they worked with the other the other uh, bottlings that we have from those distilleries as well. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was trying to yeah. So it's building, almost building the story, building the flavors that are available for the people that apps that love these distilleries and want to try more, but also sort of building that story for the Game of Thrones fans as well. So it's it's trying to cover off a number of different different points at the same time. Yeah, I think the it would be great to to kind of finish this off with uh, talking about the the most famous brand and they talk about um, uh, a whiskey that's really you know universally loved if you know if you talk to any whiskey enthusiast they're like oh what's your you know I, I feel like johnny walker black is that example because it's it's that example of you know as somebody that's that's getting you to whiskey they're like a little little sheepish and say like oh you know i really like johnny walker black but i'm, I'm sure you don't and it's like no no everybody universally johnny walker black uh is incredibly available and incredibly adored by uh by whiskey enthusiasts um, you can get it anywhere you, you, you can get it at a hotel bar. You can get it in, in, in almost in any country, it seems. Um, but it also kind of fits that profile where, uh, anybody's, you know, happy to drink it. That's drinks a lot of whiskey. They'll go back to it. They usually have it in their, in their cabinet. Uh, but it's also very approachable to, to new drinkers that are kind of really trying to explore, uh, explore that. So, um, tell it like, tell us a little bit about the magic behind Johnny Walker Black. What's the, you know, what's as far as kind of the barrel selection that goes into that. And I, I know a lot of this is probably proprietary. You're not going to be able to tell me, but just kind of the, you know, like the details of how that gets, comes about. So I, I do. Yeah. I would like to echo what you're saying about that sort of the ubiquitousness of, uh, of Johnny Walker black label. Cause I remember when I first started in the company um, and my colleagues had, had, had worked for Diageo and its precursors for longer they would always talk about that was their whiskey. If they were having a drama at a weekend, it was it was Johnny Walker Black Label. Now this included people that worked at the, the sort of the malt distilleries, the grain distilleries. This was their, their go to whiskey. And it's just as as I learned more and I understood more, you really you really get it and you understand why that's the case. So Black Label is it is an amazing whiskey. So it it's we take whiskies from like the Four Corners of Scotland. So we talk about Klein Leash, Cardew, Kalila, Glenkinchy. So you're bringing together those those big whiskey making regions, Lowlands, Isla, 
the Highlands and Speyside, and you're bringing together great whiskies that talk to these different areas, but also talk to the individual distillery character. So within Black Label, we have 29 or more individual distilleries that come together, and they come together in, in different amounts, different proportions. So we have we have a recipe, we have a guide as to how you create Johnny Walker Black Label. Uh, it talks about the different distillery characters. So is it a creamy, is it a creamy light style distillery? Is it a smoky distillery? Thinking about the proportions of how they fit together, but also thinking about the maturation style. So what proportion do we want of American oak to European oak? Do we want a lot of distillery character? Do we want a lot of wood notes? So within Black Label, we have everything has to be 12 years or more. Um, we have a mix, it's a blended it's a blended Scotch whisky, so we have a mix of all of our distilleries from our lighter grain style whiskies to our smoky whiskies. It has got that classics of Walker DNA, so you do have that smoky, smoky heart that's built around Kalila and we bring our other whiskies together around that. But it also has a, it's got a rich, it's got a rich wood notes. You've got a rich fruit in there that we get from that sort of European maturation, but it has a smoothness and a creaminess and a sweetness. Uh, it's almost a bit like dark chocolate, getting that balance between the sort of European oak and American oak. Um, but then we do have a lot of vibrancy in there as well from that, the really, the beautiful distillery characters that we bring together. So what's really interesting when we're looking at recreating Johnny Walker Black Label week on week is we have, as I said, we have these guidelines and we're talking about the mix, the wood mix mm -hmm. and also the distillery mix. But if, for example, say if a distillery is not available. So 12 years ago, a distillery was shut for two weeks because it was going through its silent season and it was getting new equipment. And if that's not available, it's not as simple as we take one distillery out and we put another distillery in. It might be as that we don't have that distillery available, so we can use this mix of distilleries, but it means that we've got to adjust the wood mix as well to sort of keep the right characteristics coming through. So mm -hmm. it's an ongoing, it's an ongoing sort of understanding of what flavors you're getting from from distillery, from maturation, how you bring that together and keep that that balance going each and every time. And yeah, that, that's, that, part that's of, amazing. That's the fun of being a blender. <laughs> and did, did I hear correctly? You said this. You do this every week. Every week, there's a new. A new blended DNA for Johnny Walker Black that like every week there's a batch that you're you're blending. Yeah, yeah. So um, wow. I can't, I'm, I'm terrible at remembering numbers, but we will. We it's it's something that we make week on week. Um, a same with with Red Label as well, Johnny Walker Red Label. I mean, and to think about uh, you know what what the craft of that is and, and the process of that is uh, is is pretty amazing. And um, I think you know a lot of you know people assume oh it's uh, blends are are somehow like stuff that's left over, but it's really more the no, no. whiskey. But it's really the opposite. Everything goes into the blend, <laughs> and and then like it's the things that that maybe fits a different profile that wouldn't go into the blend. Uh, but I, yeah. in a lot of the cases, the distilleries you mentioned, uh, you know. I, and we, we don't have to go individually, but like 90% of what that distillery makes or 100% of that what the distillery makes will go into Johnny Walker. Um, and it's really the the single malts that are kind of in the side that are like, okay, maybe this is a good single malt expression. But yeah. it's really the majority goes into that that Johnny Walker blend. That That is exactly it. And that's how that's how the Scotch whiskey industry developed was. Um, so if we look back at the days when uh, Cardew was... we. The Walker family were buying spirit from Cardew and from other distilleries. It was the blending house, the blending company was saying, we want this style of whiskey because that's what we wanted to to create 
uh, whiskies for our, our customers mm -hmm. and the distillery would work to create that that style but also the right quality and that still continues today so when we were talking about um, working with our Scotch inventory manager a big part of that is we are talking to we are talking to um, Mr Lomax to say we're looking for this proportion of lighter style to more complex style to a smokier style that's what we think we want and this is what we think the the proportions of the the cast style should be mm -hmm. um and that that feeds back into what's what's been planned at the distilleries um and as you say it is it is our blended whiskies that are that that drive that that plan but we do always build in we build in a little more volume so that we can mm -hmm. continue to spot like our single bolts and we are looking for we're looking for where we can build in innovation so we always have a little bit of space and time where we can we can play with how we create the flavor at distilleries so we do have still have ongoing experiments so it's building on the walker tradition of, sort of looking to the future so we have experimental casks being laid down we have experiments that are going on at different distilleries and we're really lucky that we get to have those get to have those those created uh, we get to watch those as they mature, and then we start to use those in our in our different products as we learn more from that. But those experimentation that that helps us to develop the business and keep moving forward. So, for example, in in Johnny Walker Double Black, we talk about these heavily heavily charred casks, these rejuvenated casks, mm -hmm. and that was a new process that was experimental where we realised that you can once a cask has been filled filled three times, filled four times, you have less activity. But if you if you rejuvenate those casks, if they get recharged, retoasted, you can get a lovely character and flavour coming out um, from future maturations and that. And that's now something that is a standard practice uh, for ourselves, but also across the industry. But that came from uh, came from experimentation within within labs and then within production as well. Ah oh, well, Emma, thank you so much. I mean, I, I this is probably the best job I, I could imagine uh, for anybody that in the whiskey <laughs> industry uh, for for a terrific company that that's got access to so many different barrels uh, and, and I always love you know I always love hearing uh, when, when you know someone in your position says experimentations because I I do love that that sense of innovation and kind of pushing the flavor profile especially you know when it's the the, the casks and the distilleries are are you know adored and appreciated as much as uh, you and your group do certainly um, so very much appreciate that um, Emma, thank you so much. Um, any any final thoughts for us uh, before uh, before you go off to to, to nose more whiskey for your? Uh, I guess this is going to be your late. <laughs> you're, you're probably done working for the day. I guess. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm nearly finished. Little little couple of things left to go. Um, I just wanted to say thank you very much for inviting me along to be able to talk in your podcast. It's been it's been great fun meeting you over the airwaves and and having the conversation about whiskey. Um, I. I big part of what we do within the Diageo's whiskey specialist team is to talk to people about whiskey so and try and get everyone else to love it as much as we do so thank you very much for that opportunity um and hopefully hopefully I've won a few more people over to the, the world of Scotch whiskey. Oh, thank you so much. I, mean, I think the best way to do that is through education. So this has been really wonderful. And uh, I really enjoyed you explaining the whole process from start to finish uh, as far as making whiskey and blending it. So thank you so much. Thank you very much for your time. I'll speak to you later. The preceding episode was brought to you by Johnny Walker.